Welcome to the Readerly Report, a podcast of Readerly Magazine. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to investigate nonfiction. Um, I don't know. I, I love nonfiction. I love to read nonfiction, especially narrative nonfiction and sometimes memoirs. But I don't get to that as much. And I know you have decided that you want to read more. So yes, that is what we are. We're going to take a look at. Yeah. Um, I guess for the first quarter, all of the the nonfiction that we would love to read that we're looking forward to getting to. Yeah, I have kind of a complicated relationship with nonfiction. Like, I I always want to read more, and I always feel bad that I don't. And then sometimes it it really hits the spot, and then sometimes I find that when I'm reading nonfiction, it slows me down. Like, it, I definitely get to fewer books. I find I'm not reading as much during the week. Like, I just, I don't know. It doesn't compel me the way fiction does, unless it's, you know, really, really, really good. So, um, but I did vow I want to read more, and I did find in preparing for the show a number of books that I would be really excited to pick up. So, and I think I'm reading two nonfiction books right now. I'm in the middle of two of them, so I'm clearly trying to turn over a new leaf here. Not two that are on your list, just two that you're reading, or two that two on. that I'm reading that are not on the list that okay. are from last year. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of those right now. All right, so let's start with, I guess, let's take a look at, did you finish anything since our last podcast? I know you were doing the levers and... Yeah, I have this weird, I'm like reading five different books right now. You were doing it, yeah, you're super Gale this year. I know, it's like not, um, yeah, but it's not good because I feel like I'm, because I have like five books I'm in the middle of, I'm not, I'm making minuscule progress in all of them. I did finish... um, this is how it always is, which is the uh, Lori Frankel book about the transgender child. So that one I finished. I like that one a lot, and I'm still reading the Levers, and that's that's like my next book to finish. Um, I have an audio book going. It's the Bruce Springsteen memoir, and for some reason, it's just taking me forever. Like, is it's that a Born long to book. Run? Born to Run, right? Well, it's, yeah, you, but you can't you can't um, give Bruce any helium. You said. You know what? I um I did. He's at he's at 1.25%. 1.25 times. I had to do it. Like it's just oh my god. I I think that this book needed an editor and I think that whoever was assigned to edit Bruce was scared to edit him because mm-hmm. he's Bruce. Right. And it is well written. I mean, he's a beautiful writer. It just it's repetitive. And he, I wonder if he wrote it though. He did. He wrote the whole thing, and apparently he wrote the whole thing over many years, and then he brought it to a publisher. So there's not ghostwritten, and um, he did write it. So it kind of shows. Like, it it, it was a, obviously a long project for him, and it was delivered probably in almost complete form. And so whoever was, a, you know, whoever got that book obviously didn't want to touch it and didn't want to do a lot to it. It's just, there's a lot of detail that probably... You don't need unless you're the ultimate of Bruce fans. So, what is he telling you what kind of underwear he wears? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more like. And then we played this 
New Jersey bar. And then we played this New Jersey bar. And then this guy sat in on drums. And then this other guy had a fight. So, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I'm I'm finally at, uh, he's released, um, I think he's at the darkness of the edge of town. So he's finally, like, made it. So at least it's not as so much of the, like, starving musician stuff. Uh, but it's, yeah. So I'm, I'm about halfway done with that. What are you? Uh, what have you read since we last chatted? Um, so I read this book called The French Girl, and of course, it's it's one of these books. It's one of these books that's right up my alley. It's about these six friends who, right after college, they go on. I don't know. They go for a week away in the south of France or whatever, and this French girl who used to who hung out with them during this week and was a friend of one of the kids' families, ends up disappearing. And then I think it fast-forwards, like, maybe it's 15 years later, and they're all sort of moving back into London, and this woman's body has been discovered. So this French detective is re-interviewing all of the friends. So it's just sort of about how their relationships have changed and who might have been responsible for her death. Oh, that sounds good. It was it was pretty good. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it at first because it's told in the first person and it's a little bit of a neurotic narrator. So she's a little bit claustrophobic, but I really liked the way it turned out in terms of it not being so much about flashbacks, but just the people who they are now. And um, so it's a lot about identity and how your identity shifts. It was really interesting. I liked it. And then you mentioned that you were reading, is it called Everything Here is Beautiful? Yes. I read Everything Here is Beautiful after we talked about it on the podcast and we said we were both a little bit hesitant about it because of the, I don't know, just maybe not wanting to read a mental health, mental illness story so early in a year. At least that was my reasoning. But I, something about our conversation, it was just like, oh, well, maybe this is one that I can, I'll read a few chapters and I can rule it out. But it's just so beautifully written. It's such a wonderful story, just about these sisters and responsibilities and the choices that we make. And it's told from a bunch of different perspectives. It's told from the perspective of Lucia, um, you know, who is just sort of this passionate, troubled young woman. She never really gets a diagnosis, but... Um, you just see how it affects her life and how her life could have gone differently, but she has this illness that she's dealing with and her sister, who she's very close with, and um, the perspective of two of her lovers and how they meet her at different points and how their relationship changes as, as they try to grapple with her illness. And while it would seem to be that it's it's so much about the mental illness, it really isn't. It's just really about these relationships that people have each other have with each other and love and I don't know the things that she decides to do it's surprising hmm really good you'll like it you'll really like it okay great um I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I read but I think most anything else that I read does not come out for quite a bit of time so I won't mention it uh, let's see. I'm almost done with another nonfiction and it's overdue at the library, which is driving me crazy because I need to finish it. Um, it's called too fat, too slutty, too loud. Oh, the, the rise and reign of the unruly woman. I don't know if you've heard about this one. I've heard about it. Do you like it? I do. So 
she, the author writes for BuzzFeed and she's picked, um, I want to say 10 women, 10 women about how they kind of, um, they're too fat, too slutty or too loud. Yeah. They buck what society expects of them based on who they are, whatever their job is or whatever they do, how they don't conform to what we would traditionally expect from a woman in that role. So for example, she starts with Serena Williams and how Serena I really want to read this. Yeah, yeah, the Serena chapter is pretty good. Serena is too strong. Melissa McCarthy's too fat. Um, Nicki Minaj too slutty. Madonna too old. And it's pretty good. I I think sometimes she I don't know maybe overdoes it a little bit. Just sort of over analysis a bit. Um, but I, I, I'm liking it and it's, it's got good perspective and kind of makes you think, cause I think it is easy to sort of buy into sometimes what you hear, these criticisms you hear about these women without really thinking about it. Like Madonna, you know, how people, Madonna's criticized for continuing to dress like she's in her twenties when really she's in her sixties and continuing to act like she's in her twenties instead of what we would expect from an aging musician. And it's kind of easy to like read that and be like, yeah, you know, sort of lame. She's like clinging to her youth and it's gone and she can't accept it. Yeah, no but, one says anything about Mick Jagger. Right. Still wearing his little tight pants and Right, right. And that's really what it's about, is how we hold how we hold women to such a different standard in so many areas, whether it's physical appearance, whether it's uh, you know, Hillary Clinton they have in here about sort of her the things that she does that have turned people off, how these are not things that we would expect of men. Um, they have a whole section on Kim Kardashian and how her pregnancy was not what what is the traditional Hollywood pregnancy. And I don't know, it's good. I, I want to finish it so that I can return it. And, <laughs> I, you know, it's not, this is one of the ones that's not like propelling me late at night, but right. I'm glad I, I'm glad I'm reading it. So hopefully yeah, I'll get it done. Yeah, that's how I say sometimes I read nonfiction differently because something like that lends itself to you can read a chapter about Nicki Minaj or Venus Williams and then not read a chapter about anyone else for quite a while. Yeah. So, like, I have a different timeline for them, almost like short stories. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I really love narrative nonfiction because it is sort of story-like. It has a story that propels you to want to read it, like... If you're looking for something like that, then Killers of the Flower Moon is, um, that's a good example of something. Narrative nonfiction and sort of there's a, a mystery element involved and it really pulls you along. And yeah. just interesting. Yeah. This one that you can definitely put it down for weeks in between chapters right. <laughs> and, and it doesn't really impact it. Unless your library wants it back. Yes, Exactly. So, all right, so let's move on to uh, nonfiction coming out in 2018. Um, I found kind of a an odd smattering of books that I think reflect some of my interests in real life. Um, it's not, so I, I don't know how many people listening to this show would necessarily gravitate toward the books that I picked, but hey, this is a podcast, this is our podcast, so I'm allowed to pick the books I want to pick, so... Um, it's yeah, it's kind of an odd little group that I have here. Okay, shoot. All right. Well, I'll start. I'm going to start with the most embarrassing of them all, but I like I have to get my <laughs> hands on this. 
This book is called Bachelor Nation, Inside the World of America's Favorite Guilty Pleasure. And it's by I'm, Amy Kaufman. Are you a Bachelor watcher? I am. The only uh, season that I watched was the one with Rachel Lindsay. Because I was just curious oh, to see yeah. how that whole thing was, you know, how that would go down. Right. right. Since she was the first black um, yes. bachelorette. Right. Um, what did yeah, you think I, of her season in comparison to the others? I'm just curious. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was good. I, I, it's, I liked her. She was very substantive. But I have to be honest with you, like, all the seasons are kind of the same. Like, yeah. It's such a That's formula. what my friend Lauren said. She's just like, it's a formula. They're all the same. They're all the same. Um, what I like about this book, or what I think I will like about this book, is that it's all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And I think it's about how it manipulates us. So it's not like just a dishy, gossipy thing. I think it's about what the producers have created in this show and how it has... Um, played out for viewers. And it's funny. Somebody I know posted recently on Facebook. They're like, you know, in this era of Me Too and sexual harassment and sort of putting an end to that stuff, does The Bachelor really have a future? You know, here it is, this guy, he's like kissing all these women. He's got all the control. Like, this construct, as old-fashioned as it was when it the show air started airing is even more so today. Like it's just really anachronistic and kind of obnoxious. So I'm wondering if this book will get into that. Like, like how does this franchise survive as our own views about men and women and power and Hollywood and entertainment have shifted? So this book comes out on March 6th from Dutton and I definitely want to read it. Do you think it changes? I don't know. People enjoy watching The Bachelor, though, like, no matter how Me Too or whatever they are. True. I yeah, mean, so maybe it, it has doesn't. a sizable population. Isn't it, like, 20 years old at this point? Um, 35 seasons. Whoa. 15 years and 35 seasons. I mean, it's crazy. For so me, do it's... You, do you watch The Bachelorette and The Bachelor, or do you just watch The Bachelor? Yeah, no, I watch them both, and it's just, it's totally mindless. Are they different? In any way? Do you feel like the bachelorettes uh, are treated any different, or do they have less agency, or? That's a great question. I don't know if they're treated differently. I think that what happens is the bachelorette always seems to express more angst and uh, lack of self-confidence or insecurity than the bachelor does. Even when she's the one driving it, when she's uh-huh. the one in control making the decisions, Right. There's still a lot of kind of tears and I don't know if he likes me and I, he hasn't said what I want him to say type thing. And the um, men are just sort of like, yeah, I don't like her. Bye. The, yeah, the men seem to feel more in control and less conflicted. I mean, they may be conflicted at the end about who to pick, but they don't sit there doubting everything. So um, I don't think that the actual construct of the show is any different. I mean, having a bunch of... I think that there's less drama among the contestants among when they're men than when they're women, just being men versus women. But um, I don't know. That's a good question, and I bet that's something that they'll talk about in this book. So I think there's probably, like, two people listening to the show who will want to read that book, too, but I had to throw it in. I don't know. I mean, I find the whole psychology of how they do casting for reality shows fascinating I really don't watch a lot of them I did watch that one season of The Bachelorette um I was bored with I tried to watch the first episode of this The Bachelor the one with Ari yeah well he's he's boring yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, no, I don't think so. I don't care. Yeah. But you know Um, that's bad when you're basically like... He's so bland. (laughs) He's so bland. But what am I saying? That like you who is like you're like basically housebound and like (laughs) hours to fill still find The Bachelor boring. Like that's just not a good sign for The Bachelor. (laughs) I think that they they needed someone with more spice. They should have just done Peter or someone. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wanted him. I would have watched Peter's Bachelor. Yeah. Anyway, to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Good. Um, <laughs> for nonfiction. Um, I really want to read The Line Becomes a River by Francisco Cantu. And it's about how he used to be. Um, he grows up as part of the Border Patrol. They monitor drug routes. They monitor people who are coming into the country illegally and, you know, if they catch them, I guess they are delivered to be incarcerated or if they're dead, then I'm not sure what happens then, but I guess they take care of it. So he does the border patrol, but then a friend of his disappears and he goes to visit his mother who's dying in Mexico and he doesn't return. So he goes to search for his friend to figure out what happens, what happened to him. You know, is it possible that he got caught by a border patrol? I don't know. I just think it's really fascinating in times like this to read a story about that because you hear about border patrol and you hear about people sneaking into the country, but I've just never given any thought into how how that happens, you know, Mm -hmm. like who's responsible for doing this. He is, you know, he's the child of a Mexican immigrant, so... I'm sure that there are some, I guess, sort of tugs on his loyalty, I'll say. So it just seems like an interesting frame for, for something that we hear about that I would love to know more about. It is coming out. It's from Riverhead. It's coming out on February 6th. So I'll probably read that pretty soon. Wow, that sounds a lot more um, substantive than the book I had picked. <laughs> well, we're giving people choices. That's true. you got to balance it all out, right? So what's up next for you? Okay, so my, I have two that come up next, but they're kind of similar. So I wanted to group them together. So I always aspire to be minimalist and to clear out my house and to get rid of stuff. I don't always succeed, mostly because I just don't have time to sit and do it. But I, it's something I really want to do, and it's a way that I want to live. So there's two nonfiction books about kind of less. And um, I just wanted to include them here. The first one's called The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning, How to Free Yourself and Your Family from a Lifetime of Clutter by Margarita Magnuson. And this is kind of the Scandinavian answer to Marie Kondo. And it's called, it's it's about, and I'm not even going to be able to pronounce this word, D-O-S-T-A-D-N-I-N-G, Dostadning, I guess which is a decluttering or cleaning process that should be undertaken before others have to do it for us. So basically get your shit in order before you die. Um, (laughs) So her book is about advice, what to keep, what to give or throw away and how to do it sort of in a humane way. So, um, I mean, Marie Kondo was so extreme. So maybe this one is a little less extreme than Marie Kondo, which I think was so um, unsentimental and you read so ruthless. I did read that one, yeah. She's just, what is, if it doesn't add joy? Yes, if it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. Which is hard to say about like a sponge, but whatever. Um, <laughs> she, what I didn't like about Marie Kondo was she was so ruthless about books. 
And I mean, I definitely am in a process I of... I think that's a whole other lifestyle in itself, just being completely ruthlessly minimalistic like that. Yeah. I also think that you have to find your own balance. I don't know that I necessarily ne- necessarily believe that your life is better without clutter. That just seems like it's another judgment. I mean, of course, I think that you want to be able to... Your house should support you. Right. So you got to find ways it works. supports you. So you have to find that that balance, what works right. for you. Right. Um, All my books spark joy. I just have to say that. <laughs> well, that's good. And if they don't, I think it does make sense to get rid of them. Right. But um, So the second book is kind of not about getting rid of stuff, but about not acquiring it in the first place. So it's called The Year of Less, How I Stopped Shopping, Gave Away My Belongings, and Discovered Life is Worth More Than Anything You Can Buy in a Store by Kate Flanders. This one's due uh, came out last week, January sixteenth. Whereas the Swedish Death Cleaning book came out January second. Perfect timing, of course, for yeah, New Year, New Year's resolutions, right? New Year, New You. So this one, she spent a year uh, trying to buy only toiletries, groceries, and gas, and ended up discovering how much she had been leaning on things like food, alcohol, and clothes for comfort. So I think it's interesting to me because that philosophy or that psychology of acquisition, whether it's clothes or it's just buying food or just, you know, the fact that you're maybe disorganized, your house is cluttered, you don't know what you have. So you just buy more, even though you actually have what you need already in the house. It's kind of fascinating to me. Um, I, I feel like I succumb to that kind of the retail dopamine hit that, you know, people talk about a lot. So I would like to understand that more so that maybe I can examine my own behavior and figure out, you know, why am I buying this? Do I really need it? Like, what am I trying to address by doing it? So, um, I just think, I think reading those two in tandem could be kind of interesting. I guess they're sort of self-helpy, but you can report back over the year. Okay. ask you how your book, maybe you won't acquire anything at BA this year. Oh, that is just not happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's just nice to think about, but yeah, that's not going to happen. Okay, come up. What's your next one? Okay, so my next one is called The Heart is a Shifting Sea, and it's about Elizabeth Flock. Um, And it's about three couples and their relationships and how they, they, now I'm reading, illuminate these sweeping cultural shifts in dramatic ways. So it's these... Three different couples and how they're tested in different ways. Like one, I think, is a traditional Indian couple, professional couple, but the wife is looking for more independence. They examine a couple who have an arranged marriage. I think it's set in Mumbai. So I really always love to hear how relationships work in in different countries, you know, what the values are around them and how people negotiate as the world changes and we're all exposed to different lifestyles and technology, you know, what happens in traditional, in countries, I guess, whose relationship structure is more traditional than what it is in the United States and how, how they deal with those things. Always so fascinated. So, so all three couples are in India? Yes. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Yeah. There are di- the three couples are at different stages of their lives. They have different backgrounds and so they're sort of facing these I guess more modern questions than they normally would another couple they really want to have a child and it they say it becomes entwined in the changing face of Islam so I don't know I'm always curious about culture and relationships so that's interesting 
another nonfiction book. It didn't. It's not forthcoming. It, it actually came out in November, and I have a copy of it. It's Estelle Perelman's book about infidelity and why we're always fascinated. You know, like the myths that we have around infidelity and what causes people to cheat. I really want to read that because I'm in this one book club and we did a survey of the books, you know, and this book club we've been meeting for, I guess, about three years now. So you're thinking like 36 books uh-huh. or so. And I think when we thought about them, maybe only two di- didn't feature any form of infidelity. The rest of them all did. So I think that's like, I don't know, it's always coming up. Like, how well do you know someone? And so many of the books that I think about um, have some form of infidelity. I mean, I think from a writer's perspective, it's it's a rich uh, plot line because you've got a lot of different perspectives and emotions and it's there's a lot to say and to talk about. But I do think, you know, readers eat it up. And so the question, of course, is why? You know, what, what is it about that particular phenomenon that people find so interesting time and time again? Well, and I think one of the things that she addresses is that women, you know, they don't want to be cheated on. And is there a stigma around, cheat, you know, around infidelity and what you're doing? And, and I don't know how it makes you feel if sex is really not that important. Like, what are the other issues that are behind that? Because it's not about sex, usually. Right. Um... So okay. It's another nonfiction one. It's not forthcoming, but um, what when is it? Is it already out? It's already out. It came out in November. Oh, okay. What's it called? I'm not sure. While you okay. tell about your next book, I will look it up. Okay. So my next book, which seems like a good one to talk about today, is called "Together We Rise" by Women's March organizers in Condé Nast, and it's a book about last year's Women's March, which took place a year ago. And, um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it other than that it's probably heavy on pictures and just has a lot of reprinting speeches and people's um, experiences being there. Um, Did you attend any of the marches last year? No, I was in Thailand. Oh, you're out of the country, right. So that was a good time to get out of town. (laughs) Um, I went to the one in D.C. It was amazing. It was you know, in such a dark time, I found, um, it was a, it was a shining moment. And I think a lot of people experienced that again yesterday with the marches that took place around the country again. And I heard actually in some cities like Chicago, there were more people yesterday than there were last year, which I found amazing. So, um, I don't know. I think that would be a cool book to read. It's by Day Street Books. And, you know, again, I don't know what format it's in. Like if it's kind of a coffee table type book or if it's, uh, you know, smaller, I don't know, but I, I definitely would like to check it out. I don't, I don't know if maybe it's something I would look for at the library. Cause I don't know if it's something I would read again, but I just would like to relive that a little bit. So the book, um, it's by Esther Peril and it's called the state of affairs. Oh, that's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, why, <laughs> Makes why, sense. Couldn't I, why couldn't I think about it? And she has a Ted talk. So you know, then you can get the Cliff Notes version, I guess, of her book. The psychology, There's... why people cheat, the psychology of infidelity. Mm. Okay. Um, okay, so what's I, your next one? I had so many nonfiction books that I just had to pick the ones that really popped. 
Mm-hmm. And at first, I, you know, I wasn't going to do this one, but it's sort of intriguing to me. Marie, Maria Shriver is writing a book. It's called I've Been Thinking, and I guess it's like meditations on, on life and, and how to move forward with life. And because I know she was married to Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I'm figuring that must have been some kind of like a very interesting marriage. I'm sort of interested to see what kinds of daily meditations she would think about. So it's a little bit of just being nosy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's called, I've been thinking, Reflections, Prayers, and Meditations for a Meaningful Life. I just feel like she might have something to say about that. Yeah. Well, I think she's had her own trials and tribulations, so. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, as a prominent woman juggling many roles, Maria Shriver knows just how surprising, unpredictable, and stressful everyday life can be. So I was like, ooh, enlighten me, Maria Shriver. Okay. Um, So I guess you had two. So let me just mention this next one. And this is, this is totally going to my occasional foray into true crime. Um, it's this book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, a woman's, one woman's obsessive search for the Golden State Killer. And it's by Michelle McNamara. And I think she is, she's not alive anymore. Um, Gillian Flynn wrote the introduction to this book and... She created this website called True Crime Diary because she was, I guess, desperately trying to figure out who the Golden State Killer was. Um, And he was a predator, a sexual predator in Northern California, and he committed over 50 different assaults and 10 murders. So this is all about her just interviewing a bunch of different people and trying to figure out who he is. Okay. She became obsessed. So I'd never heard of that murderer. No, I don't read a lot of crime, so it's probably not something I would gravitate towards, but that sounds interesting. So what's your next book? I know it's going to be something completely... (laughs) It's completely random. Yeah, this is my last one. Um, Okay, so I like to read advice columns, and I read Carolyn Hacks in the Washington Post, and I read Dear Prudy and Slate, and I just find them interesting. I like reading about, I like reading the questions that come in, but I always sort of try to put myself in the position of the uh, columnist. And I try to guess what are they going to say before I get to their answer and see how close I was. So there's a book coming out called Can't Help Myself by Meredith Goldstein. And she is a advice columnist for the Boston Globe. And this is her new memoir. It writes candidly about her own uncertainties and how the column and her readers have helped her cope. So I'd like to hear, I'd like to see the, the advice columnist life from the perspective of the columnist. Hmm. And, and that comes out uh, April 3rd, Grand Central Publishing. So my last one is called Gospel, The Gospel of Trees, and it's a memoir. Um, it's supposed to be a very beautiful memoir. I was attracted to it because it takes place in Haiti. Haiti's not a country that I know a lot about, but it's about this woman, Apricot Irving, who grew up as a, a missionary's daughter in Haiti. And it's it explains Haiti as a country that's easy to, sensational, to sensationalize but difficult to understand. And of course, Haiti has been in the news lately because the president made comments on the quality of the immigrants that we get. <laughs> <laughs> and the countries from which they come. That's a diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, you know, of course I see this book about Haiti. I mean, it's, it's just about Haiti, about missionary's daughter and the lessons that she learns from that. And, you know, it talks about her difficulties with Christianity and, you know, it's a white family growing up in Haiti. I mean, of course, I guess a lot of missionaries would be that go to other countries. So, right. It's described as beautiful and poignant and just, you know, it just touches on my curiosity about <laughs> my cat. <laughs> He's very interested as well. <laughs> yep, so, I'm sure. <laughs> the Gospel of Trees comes out March 6th. And it's from Simon and Schuster. All right. So we have some books in here that aren't out for a little while, but hopefully you'll people will hear them and take note of them, add them to various lists or pre-order or whatever it is. If it's but you can definitely already start with the state of affairs, Esther Carroll, and the and November, the, right? And the cleaning books that I right put in there, they're out now. And Gail's decluttering books, the decluttering books. All right, well, uh, so we will be checking in with Gail throughout the year and see how her, <laughs> if her efforts to declutter her life extend past reading these two books. And we'll yeah. try to work on your, on your book pile. The book pile. All right, well, we will um, link to these books in the show notes so that you can get to them quickly. And um, until next time, happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com, and you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com, and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep reading.